This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Looking to see your collection in greater detail? Check out the wide selection of Carson magnifying products and microscopes available at amosadvantage.com. Count on Carson to bring you truly innovative, high-quality optics at extraordinary value. And count on Amos Advantage for all your coin collecting supply needs. Visit amosadvantage.com to explore our inventory. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B-H-E-R-T-E-L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast. With your host, Jeff Stark. As I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And we are excited to be here with you this week, another week in the ongoing saga of numismatics around the United States and across the globe. Boy, is this an exciting time, too. I mean, it's just been great. I appreciate, I'm going to say right now, I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this once again. And, uh, you know, we, we're having a great time. The last one was great. I mean, I told all my friends. And so hopefully we picked up a s- subscriber or two because uh, I don't have a whole lot of friends. But uh, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, we invite you to do that as soon as possible, because it's great. You don't want to miss out on it. We uh, looked at the numbers recently, and there's a lot of folks out there that are listening. We'd love to have you as one of our regular listeners right here. And while we're on the topic of that, uh, some of the changes that might be coming down for 2021, I've heard some inklings that there may be some sponsors who are looking at us and may uh, we may find ourselves in their portfolio. So, Jeff, I don't know. You know, it'd be great to have somebody putting their support behind us a little more. So, really do appreciate Amos Advantage doing what they've been doing for us from the get go. I know that you and uh, Chris did a lot of work to make that happen. Oh yeah, and, and actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned Amos Advantage because uh, I would buy all my hobby supplies there that I could get because you know, hey, you know, I'm putting coins in two by twos, I'm putting them in double row boxes, I'm I'm sleeving up my banknote collection, that sort of thing. So it, it was great to be able to order those and get them same day, <laughs> which you know is not something maybe that uh, is possible for the listeners out there, but certainly the folks back at the warehouse in Sydney, Ohio, are shipping out the orders as soon as they can. So if we get sponsorships, does that mean we get like free coins, free samples, maybe some, not like the banks where you walk in and say, do you hand out any samples? Well, yeah. I mean, if we open an account, maybe we'll get a toaster or something like that. But uh, no, I just, I'd be happy with a shirt. I mean, right now, I mean, and then we'll work our way up to it. I mean, because I too have been a customer of Amos Advantage. I do not have a shirt, so I do not have anything I can wear about that. But I know that a lot of the supplies have uh, been able to come from there and also even on the uh, stamp side of things. I mean, it just amazes me the array of items that are available right there. And it's so easy and uh, I've had to wait on an item because it was not out yet, but uh, I, I can be patient and I'm going to be patient until we see somebody else's name show up here. And I know that uh, the folks are doing a, a fine job kind of enlisting some uh, individuals or businesses to join up with us. If you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them too. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned a t-shirt because when I started at CoinWorld as an intern the summer of 2003, in my desk, uh, in the drawers, so to speak, pun intended, were several CoinWorld branded briefs, like boxers or briefs. Uh, no, they were boxers. Sorry. They were boxers. And I go, seriously? How many people love the CoinWorld brand so much that they're going to wear boxers with the CoinWorld logo on them? I quickly commandeered one or commandoed one, as it were. And I, I gave it I gave it to my younger sister because I, there was no way I could fit in it. And uh, even though 2020 was, you know, I lost like almost 40 pounds. I don't think I could fit in it still if, if they were floating out there. So somewhere the rare collectible related to Coin World is a unworn, unopened pair of Coin World branded boxers. So put that on your eBay search list and maybe one day you will find one. Yeah, but now you made me think about something else too. When you talked about 40 pounds, when a numismatist loses 40 pounds, do they convert it to dollars? Yes, and and right now the pound is about a dollar thirty four U.S. So that's going to be about what sixty three dollars. <laughs> okay, so you've lost sixty three dollars. That's not a bad day's work. I mean, I've lost sixty three dollars in an hour before. We won't get into that, but uh, you know that's just kind of funny. I mean, it was funny you mentioned eBay because that's the first thing I thought of when you said this. Here's a unique item, and sometimes it's like, hey, I'm going to check and see where it is and see what is happening with it. And then in the case of a coin or something coin related, and oftentimes I'll look at the local dealer and I'll look at some of our advertisers in the in the digital edition, the print magazine and, and see what some of the things are. But uh, I wonder what the going price for a set of coin world boxers would be. Not that I really want to spend any of my hobby money on that necessarily. T-shirt. Yeah, I'll go that route, but mm, maybe not so much. I can't begin to imagine what that would fetch in a market setting, an auction setting, but, you know, be on the lookout there. Maybe your coin shop has a pair or, hey, maybe we should come out with Coin World Podcast. We can have Coin World Podcast boxers to go with, you know, the Make Coin Collecting Great Again hats and, and all the other paraphernalia that <laughs> exist out there. Yeah, with only uh, one condition on that. I will only buy them uncirculated. I do not want anything that's been circulated. So, Absolutely. Yeah, th this is a questionable toning. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's delve away from the objects of uh, uh, sartorial wonder, and, and let's talk about numismatic stuff. Looking at this week in Coin World history, actually, uh, you know, there's a lot of news right going on right now. You know, let's look at the big news. I think probably the biggest news of last week, certainly by what CoinWorld readers interacted with online, was the uh, this new design that's coming out this year for the Washington Quarter Dollar. The reverse depicts General George Washington leading his men across the Delaware River. The heat of the the Revolution. You know, it's interesting because General Washington then appears on the obverse and appears on the reverse. And that's not the first time. I mean, that's, you know, he's the Lincoln sent has Abraham Lincoln twice. The Lincoln Memorial sent, I should clarify. 
because, you know, the Lincoln Memorial has Lincoln in there. And if you get out your magnifying glass, you can see him sitting there. But Washington is alive and, and well in vivid display, if you will, on this new design. What do you think about the design? And you know, what's your take on that development? Yeah, it's a little more detailed than the one they used previously. Uh, a very similar design used with the crossing of the Delaware historic thing. Uh, I saw an interesting uh, question put up on one of the forums recently. Is George Washington in the boat? And somebody explained, no, he's not in the boat. The boat's coming to pick him up. So he's not in the boat. So Washington does not appear three times on that. I really think that the design, as I've seen it so far, of course, it's uh, no sub pictures offer a substitute for it, but just actually seeing it in scale on the quarter dollar is going to be interesting to see right there. But I I like it. I like the looks of it. Uh, It's one we're going to have to get used to. But, uh, you know, with all the different programs we've had over the last decade or so, it's changed so much that getting back to a standard design is kind of neat. I know there are pros and cons about the way the design was chosen. Like there's always going to be pros and cons mostly about the obverses as much as the reverses. But, you know, it's just from my understanding, it was kind of uh, predicted as much as so it wasn't that much of a surprise, was it? Well, no. Yeah, it wasn't uh, predicted. It was proscribed by the legislation signed in, uh, I believe it was December 23rd, 2008. The law that created the what we've come to call the America the Beautiful Quarter Program it mandated that this Washington crossing the Delaware reverse design appear as, you know, stamp collectors would use the term definitive. So it's now the new definitive design, just like 1997 and earlier before the state quarter program came out, you know, all the way back to 1932, with the exception of the bicentennial design, there was the definitive design of the eagle on the reverse of the quarter. So this is by no means a surprise, but it's nice to see the design released as as not just a graphic, not just a sketch. You know, we certainly are used to seeing renderings and things that purport to show what will appear in some version, but to actually see struck coins with that design is nice. I like the design, like you noted, it's much more nuanced and, and detailed than the New Jersey state quarter that shows the same scene. And I would say for all the, you know, you know, I haven't seen any, any sort of backlash or any negative response to this new design yet. Um, I like this design. And certainly when you put it side by side next to the earlier version, it's much better, much better. So it marks a moment that was integral in the founding of the nation and uh, honors a, a man who's presence and being was integral to that as well. Good on them. There have been numerous proposals over the last few years to introduce more ever-changing designs on the quarter. And I say, let's pause. Let's take a break. I still haven't finished my America the Beautiful set, and I still have a couple. I'm putting together sets for nieces and nephews. I still have a couple sets to put together or Uh, finish putting together of uh, the state quarter stuff that I just got out of the habit of putting into the album or folders. So it's a good thing. It's a nice design. What do the listeners think? There's ways to share your thoughts, whether you email us, whether you respond to the Coin World Facebook post or message us individually. I think it's a nice thing as far as um, 
you know, a new standard going forward. They could have done a lot worse. Look at about half of the state quarter designs. And I think, you know, they were too busy. They were too sparse to, I mean, some of them just, they felt lacking depth. And thankfully, the America, the beautiful coins, I think, didn't lack the depth like the state quarter programs designs did. There's room for selective use of sparse designs. And I, I don't think that was uh, the most case, the state quarters used that effectively and having good design, you know, design matters. So uh, good, yeah. good for this design. I'm excited to get my first one in circulation. I haven't seen any 2021 coins yet in circulation. You know, we're only, you know, 10 days in practically. So, you know, I don't know that it would, you know, they'll be out right away and certainly hey you know with a coin shortage with you know how many times do you are you going into a store and using cash these days a lot of places want exact change or they want uh digital payment you know credit card or whatever check or whatever so i'm curious to see when the first 2021 coins will be found and uh, announced to coin world let us know if you're finding one of those as well yeah, because, I mean, we obviously don't want to overlook the Tuskegee Airmen, the final installment of the America the Beautiful, number 56 of the series right there that's going to be out there. Of course, uh, the the word on the street right now, and I, I noticed it in the forum as well, is that there will be no W in the uh, 2021 issues. So uh, that you know program from 2019-2020 is now no more on that situation. But it's interesting, as you mentioned, I, I still walk into businesses. They still say use exact change. They still say make the transaction electronically, use a card. And yeah, every now and again, and you st- it's not so bad that you get uh, looked askance when you uh, do that. Just made two purchases yesterday involving cash. And each time I got back a quarter dollar in the change. And interestingly, I get the America the Beautiful and I get some of the pre-states quarters more than uh, I get the, a state-based quarter. And I, like you, I still have a lot of holes to fill in the states, especially the early ones. I mean, I get a lot of the Salt River Bays. I get a lot of the uh, 2018 and newer quarters, but I don't get anything in the states at all. So maybe that's just kind of a circulation situation that uh, will work itself out next thing you know, as soon as I say this, I'm going to walk out today. I'm going to put down a dollar. I'm going to get back four state quarters and everybody's going to say, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're doing. But then again, I haven't been to the car wash in a while. That may be where they are. I uh, tried the, the game room the other day, but most of the games were out of order. So therefore the quarter machine didn't work. So it's just a dry spell. But uh, I've got the weekend and got uh, plans to see what we can do. Because like you, I'm trying to fill those those holes in those Whitman books and yeah, I see a lot of the P's still chasing a lot of the D's. Got a D the other day, got excited, but it's one I already had. But, you know, when we were talking about the programs prior to the Washington reverse coming out, it's just the idea that it was all over the board because there were almost too many cooks in the kitchen the way they were uh, calling for the designs to be made. And it's just like you'd have one good one, one not so good one, one busy one, one not so busy one, one that you kind of, huh? You know, you think back to when the bat came out. It's like, huh, when was the last time you saw a bat? That made it interesting. Of course, you know, here again, kind of like animals on coins, but, you know, we'll get that eventually. But uh, right now, it's just that this is going to be the new one. I am 
I start thinking about and trying not to open up cans of worms, but when's the next time we're going to see a different back of the dime? That's the one that I really, you know, would like to see something be done about. And it's been talked ad infinitum, I'm sure. And I'm kind of late to the party on that one. The uh, the dime is the only circulating, generally circulating coin out there, denomination that hasn't been changed since its inception you know, of more than 50 plus years ago. I mean, you, th- you look back to 1946, nothing's changed. There's three states that I've not been able to find, no matter how hard I look, at least coin related. Those are denial, chaos, and confusion. Anyway, <laughs> come on, that's funny. State of yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's funny, and it just totally caught me out of left field because I was just not expecting that. I'm looking down here, going, maybe he doesn't have this one either. Maybe he doesn't have this one either. And then you go to places, and I'm looking in my book trying to find him. Oh, it's a joke. It's a yeah. joke. Okay, I got it. All right. Anyway, we'll probably have more jokes later. Anyway, well, yeah, you know, every week it's a joke here with me. But uh, but no, so we're talking about coin designs. Let's look at this week in numismatic history because there's a coin design or a couple coins designs that are at the root of the anniversary this week. And we're going to go to January 11th, 2007. So fairly recent history. What was happening on that day? Well, that was the day that there was a ceremony. The U.S. Mint held a ceremony at the Jamestown Settlement in Virginia. This was to release the silver dollar and gold $5 coin. Jamestown, famous 400 years earlier, uh, the settlement, one of those early events in Modern Europeanized American history, you know, you talk about Roanoke in 1587, Jamestown in 2007, the Mayflower in, I'm sorry, Jamestown in 1607, and the Mayflower in 1620. You know, these were all part of that early period of European incursion into an exploration of the North American continent. So there are two coins out there for Jamestown, and that event happened this week in numismatic history 13 years ago. Lucky 13. Wow, that's kind of amazing. I mean, it's always great to commemorate the historical feats that helped make this. I mean, this is predates the independence by over 160 years, and just Gives a little homage back. I mean, we're close to St. Augustine where we are. And St. Augustine, well known for being one of the uh, earlier settlements in the continental United States. But uh, the understanding that uh, these folks coming from across the waters and setting up and into hostile territories and that type of thing. And, of course, a couple of months ago, all the attention turned to the uh, 1620 arrival of the Pilgrims, which, as I understand it, they were bound for Virginia and just didn't quite make it there. So... That was you know, kind of neat, that uh, that historical fact that made it a little bit different. Otherwise, you wonder how it had been if everybody would have been channeled through Jamestown. It's fair to note, I was, uh, was St. Augustine like 1535, I think? Not sure. I mean, I, I, my tax records don't go back that oh, far. Okay. So. Well, you know, you think, you're not running for office, so you don't have to share them. Thank you. So uh, I forgot about St. Augustine. I'd, I'd love to go there. I've you know heard it's a pretty neat place. And of course, as you know, the history and, you know, Pizarro and there was all the uh, Spanish explorers down in that region, which is, of course, 
you know, led to its own unique numismatic history, whether that's the shipwrecks and all the uh, fun stuff down there. But anyway, those Jamestown coins are, are pretty neat. If you're going to celebrate American history, they fit so nice in, and they're something of national importance. They're not the 100th anniversary of Boys Town, you know, which is an important uh, organization, sure, but I don't think they can compare as far as the seriousness and gravitas of the organizations or events uh, when when it comes to commemorative coins. Some coins out there just, I think, shouldn't exist. They, you know, they don't, you know, we as a nation shouldn't celebrate it, but hey, if Boys Town wanted to issue a medal, more power to them. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, but here again, I mean, and I think back to the Washington reverse and uh, crossing the Delaware, historic, significant things. And when I was growing up, these are things that we were taught in school. And now, you know, with some of the education being what it is, some of the perhaps lesser events are kind of glossed over and in history. And I, that's why I think that numismatics has that advantage to provide us with a little more depth of understanding of the historic relevance of what some of these events occurred. And granted, uh, anything that's commemorated is worthy in its own way, manner, shape, or form. But to think about the especially 400th anniversary, that's that's pretty stout. Yeah, I know you're uh, well-traveled, but we think about in this country, when you encounter a building that's from the 1600s or go to St. Augustine, and see something from the beginnings in the 1560s. But our history is very minor compared to European history. And when you see buildings that are over a thousand years old and that type of thing, that the history just piles on. But when it comes down to the U.S., we still got to hold dear to our heart the activities that made us what we are, where we are, and who we are today. And uh, commemorating these events uh, really does help with a better understanding of what's going on. Absolutely. So shall we explore the This Week in Coin World history now? Is that yeah. uh, a natural? I know that's not a smooth transition, but, you know, we're a little rough around the edges, or at least I am. Yeah, I try to be uh, pretty pretty common sometimes. And yeah, I guess I'm a little bit lazy sometimes, too, when I stop and think about this. But you did all this work to find out all the information about the uh, special event that happened back in 2007. So... I just think that's a good landing point for us to talk about this week in Coin World history as well. Absolutely. So we're looking at the January 15th, 2007 issue of Coin World. And, you know, it's interesting to note, it, uh, one of the things I love looking back at these issues, for one thing, I was on staff then. I vaguely recall this event. Certainly, I can remember, you know, I know of it. But, uh, you know, the lead stories were all about the late President Gerald Ford or, you know, in this week, that was when uh, right around the time President Ford died. So we had a coin world had a couple stories about his numismatic legacy and his death and, you know, his imprint on the hobby. So, you know, OK, that was timely. But looking back, the bottom story on the, the front page, I think, is more interesting from a long term standpoint, because. That story was about the 1913 Liberty Head nickel. Though the story was about a display of the nickel, the Walton, George O. Walton nickel, the 1913 nickel is such an iconic item of numismatic mystery and intrigue that even though this story relates to 
an example of you know the fact that this coin was being exhibited in 2007. I still love this, and that's why I want to zero in on it. You know, the George Walton nickel. It was named for the uh, the owner, a dealer and collector in North Carolina. And this is the guy who was proud of owning this nickel, one of five known. And he was in a car crash on March 9th, 1962. And he actually died in the crash, but he had the coin with him. He often would take the coin to coin shows, coin club meetings, that sort of thing, and show it off. And he had a special holder made for this. And, you know, at the time of his death, the coin was reviewed. It was it was recovered from the accident scene. And uh, the coin was reviewed and people said, oh, that's a fake. He had a fake with him and he had the real one in storage somewhere or whatever. And gosh, the family never found that. You know, they looked all over. They kept this supposed fake example. Because, hey, you know, it, it still belonged to their uncle or their, you know, their relative. And come to find out in 2003, when I think it was PCGS put out a big publicity blitz to pull the missing nickel out of hiding, the Walton specimen, the other four were known. There was uh, the BB specimen, I think, is the one that's at the A&A Museum. And, you know, there's others, uh, some that are... Uh, publicly owned and some, like I say, ensconced in museums. So this big publicity blitz was out there to find this thing. And, you know, it was, you hope for the best, right? I mean, when you're doing like a coin drop, say some coin clubs and and dealers will, will do a coin drop. Scott Travers did in New York City years ago with the 1909 SVDB. And the idea is to use that to generate positive publicity for the hobby. So, you know, whether somebody actually finds the 1909 SVDB and turns it in for the reward or or decides to keep it because, you know, it has this this worth because of the rarity and the story behind it, whatever, the journey is the destination in this case. And so I don't know that PCGS honestly thought they were going to get this out of hiding, but lo and behold, Coin World Editor Beth Deicher, North Carolina native, communicated with uh, folks who knew the family, got in touch with the family. She persuaded them to come to the Baltimore show, you know, the ANA show, I should say, in Baltimore that year, the World's Fair of Money. Uh, and I remember that was when I was an intern. That was my first really big coin show. I had been to like one other coin show here in the St. Louis area before that. And all these experts there, Mark Borkard, who we've had on the show, a couple, you know, several other folks, they looked at it and they're going, yeah, this is the real deal. This is legit. And so 2003, that happens. Then jump forward to 2007 and the ANA had their national money show, what people used to call the spring show or winter show. And they had it in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so they put the Walton Nickel on display there. That's the thing that to me resonates the most from a hobby standpoint. Sure, Gerald Ford was at the helm, I believe, when gold became legal to own. And there's, you know, there's some inaugural medals and vice presidential medals out there for him. But far and away would much rather, I think people are far more excited about 
1913 nickel, and especially the Walton one because of the story behind it. Probably the only other example of that that has the cachet is the one that was on Hawaii Five O because how many rare coins are featured on a primetime television show? So that's what jumps out to me. What what do you think? They actually used a real coin on the television show? That one kind of, what, huh? They, uh, but the, it was just the plot dealt with the 1913, I, the, I gather. Uh, yes, but I believe, you know, for close-ups and whatever, they had the coin on set. I mean, I you know, it's, I'd have to go pull the, I don't know if it's told in the Million Dollar Nichols book that we've mentioned in the what we're reading. That's been so long since I've looked at it. But yeah, the, you know, 1913 nickel, it's in there. And just, you know, listeners, eagle-eared listeners, tell us if I'm wrong, because it happens all the time. And if I had a wife, I'm sure she would tell me. <laughs> Word. Anyway, yeah, that's just, I mean, it's just such an iconic coin that, I mean, anytime something comes up about that, that it's just, I mean, the stories that you told about 03 and 07 and and everything. It's just so neat to hear about that. And of course, this is uh, probably a target for counterfeiters. This is probably a target for people trying to, uh, you know, create something that's not there or trying to think that they have something that's really not of value. So I'm sure that dealers uh, get hit with this sometimes. But uh, the fact that this is so well known then that should thwart some of the efforts to try to pull something, pull some kind of shenanigans, I would hope. Yeah, there's fakes out there. but And it's kind of fun, though, to have an example that's been modified to, say, 1913. Just like it's 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 kind of fun to have one of the, um, the racketeer nickels, the uh, 1883, the first year of the coin. I should say not the denomination, but the first year of the coin because it you know didn't have the word sense on it. And the unscrupulous decided to gold plate it. It has the big V on the, the reverse for five. And hey, this pass off as a $5 gold piece. And yeah, not so much. So I, I, you know, I mean, you can stop there because you are stealing my thunder because my letter deals with that very subject right there. No way. No way. Seriously. Seriously. I I, I never look at the letters because I always just leave that to Chris or or to you now, you know, so. (laughs) Yes, you have. You have uh, tuned in your radar and you have. Turn to page, I think it was page 17. Okay. On the very same issue, as we have a letter here, we only had two letters in that issue, and this letter that I'm going to read to you now, which you've already read most of, but anyway, it (laughs) says, scam possibility, question mark. The U.S. Mint produces coins, but apparently no one on staff studies the history of our coinage. Back in 1883, our first Liberty Head five-cent coins were issued with a V on the reverse, and the word cents did not appear anywhere on the coin. And in parentheses, later in the year, they corrected this oversight. Further, the scam artists of the time realized that by gold plating this coin, it could be passed off as a gold $5 piece, as the designs of the two coins were quite similar. It was popularly referred to as the Racketeer Nickel. The letter continues. In 2007, the Mint is issuing half-ounce gold coins with our first ladies on them. In order to give all collectors the opportunity to collect the designs, they are being struck in bronze without the denomination or fineness designation. 
It does not take much of a stretch of the imagination to understand that these bronze pieces will also get a gold plating treatment. Instead of safeguarding the integrity of our coins, the Mint is once again creating a loophole for the scam to be repeated. The people who make these decisions should be doing a little more research or perhaps a serious numismatist should be added to this group. It's signed Ruth Bauer, Holland, Pennsylvania. I see that. I had no freaking idea. I mean, that's funny, though, because uh, just the synchronicity. But that is one point that people made at the time with the medals. And and I would say that medal series is one of the most underrated of modern times, partly because the gold coins exist out there. And if you're well healed and you, you know, want to throw your money into investing in that sense. okay, cool. But the metals were so cheap until this year, you know, $7 until this year from the mint. And they did four and five metal sets different years, depending on what there was. There are a couple of years in there that those metals are gosh darn expensive. And I still am missing the most expensive year because I didn't order it. The mint had previously left them on sale for like a year plus And actually, you were able to order back medals from the medal program started in 2007, just like the presidential dollar program. And some of the earlier ones you could still buy several years later. So there was no urgency to buy the first spouse medals. Well, lo and behold, the Mint decided to unannounced make a limited number. And once they sold, they were done. They were just like, yeah, we're not messing with it anymore. And so there are a couple of years in there that are just phenomenally tough to get. That's one of those things that I just hope to stumble upon in a junk shop uh, or a junk bin someday, because it's hard to swallow paying $200 or $150 for four small bronze medals that sold for 10% of that when they came out. So how much would you give for a gold-plated one then? If the gold-plated ones were would fill that darn album space... I don't know, but you know, the, the reality is the others that I have are not gold plated. So I wouldn't want to get gold plated ones because then I'd have to replace all the others with gold plated ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we get the, the intent of the, of the reader's uh, letter right there is simply just to uh, try to prevent history from repeating itself. And that's, that's a point well taken here. And uh, the idea of having a serious numismatist on the staff and, and preventing missteps is a timely idea that's always always helpful here because knowledge is power and having the knowledge and understanding and, and trying to prevent it, you know, that makes sense. It makes good sense. And sometimes, you know, you need to listen to the audience as much as we try to do every chance we get is listen to the audience and what they have to say about things before making a decision that you learn to regret. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, we all misspeak and we all speak out of turn, but try to limit uh, those those events. So um, speaking of making a mistake, I think maybe I'm going to shuffle this around a little bit and do trivia now, and then you can talk about what you're reading. So the question arose that, you know, in 1982, there were multiple examples, varieties of the cent coin. For various reasons, because of small date, large date, because of metallic alloy versions and that sort of thing. So I wanted to know how many examples there were. You've probably seen these little short sets put together. They're very 
affordable, common, easy to find, $5 or less. How many coins are we talking in this little group? Trying to remember. And I think it's, I mean, I'm trying to avoid, I'm thinking eight because of the, the date, the, the eight in the date. I'm thinking, I'm trying to get in my mind by seeing them, how many there were. I think it was an eight. And I'm, it, I keep coming back to either six or seven. I keep coming back to that number as a possibility. And it would be a coin flip to use a lack of a better term here, because I'm not 100% sure in this one, my thought would be seven. Because we've been in 2007, so I'm just going to go ahead and use seven as my guide on this one. I think I'm in the neighborhood. You are absolutely correct. There are seven examples. There's small date and large date styles that were struck at both you know, Philadelphia and Denver, and there are copper-plated zinc and some bronze examples. So coins one and two are bronze examples at Philadelphia and Denver. And then you have small date bronze at Philadelphia. Then you have the new composition, copper-plated zinc struck in Philadelphia in small date and large date styles, and then small date and large date copper-plated zinc at Denver. So seven coins. And, you know, like I say, it's like five to ten dollars for a set, maybe a little more if they're in like super nice condition. But I mean, it's really it's not hard to put together. And that's one of those short little sets. You can look for it in circulation. Doesn't have to be all uber shiny and, you know, but look for it in circulation. Also, I mean, that's the line of demarcation for coin roll hunters because the bronze coins are worth more than their face value for the metal value alone. And elongated scent collectors, they like to find the pre-1982 coins as well because they want to use them to smash in their, you know, the elongated coin machine, the penny machine, because they look nicer when you roll them out than the modern copper-plated zinc one because that plating, that thin layer of plating just gets distorted. And it just, for lack of a better word, it looks ugly. So that was uh, that was an important moment in U.S. numismatic history. And there were seven examples for you to collect from 1982. Good job for getting that correct, Larry. Yep. Now I'll go ahead and pull the dart out of the seven on the dartboard behind me here and... Uh... Maybe I'll get lucky on this next one, too. What do you got for me? You know, we've talked about fairly recent history, 2007. I want to talk about something that is way in the news last week. It just happened. Hundreds of millions, if not uh, a few billion people around the globe, saw the situation unfold at the U.S. Capitol uh, last Wednesday. And that made me think, you know, the U.S. Capitol appears on several, many, some, a few. One of the answers, you know, it's one of those adjectives could fit depending on the real number. You can see the U.S. Capitol on some number of U.S. coins, all commemorative coins, all modern commemoratives. So modern commemoratives 1982 to the present. I wanted to know if you know the listener and you, Larry, on the other end as a young collector or a collector whose journey is toward the beginning stage, how many U.S. commemorative coins depict and or celebrate the U.S. Capitol and its environs 
And bonus points, if you can tell me which ones these are and how that breakdown appears. So that's sort of, you know, that's in the news. It relates to modern commemoratives. So I thought that was a good one. You won't find that in the Coin World Trivia. Maybe if we did an updated version, that would be uh, something we could put in there. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's true. That's, that's pretty daunting right there. I guess I, I'm, I'm taking on this challenge here. I mean, we're talking only coins here because isn't the capital on some paper money somewhere? Well, I believe it is. And, you know, certainly there's some metals out there. There's, you know, stamps. We don't delve with that. But uh, although our sister publication does. So now we're just talking coins and I have already narrowed it down for you modern commemorative coins. So it it makes it easy in a sense, you know, there's no state quarters because, you know, district of Columbia is not a state and the district of Columbia quarters, you know, they show Duke Ellington or Frederick Douglass house and, and Frederick Douglass. So you might think, Oh gosh, you know, it could appear on a circulating coin. Well, we're not looking there. Presidential dollars don't count because you know that shows the men that served. That's not, that's not the building. So the building is depicted and or celebrated. And I will say, I am not counting the library of Congress. I'll give you that point because that is not Congress. That's the library. Okay. So we need the rotunda. Is that what you're saying? We need the, the dome? I mean, think about it. Th- aspects that relate to the Capitol. So the Capitol okay. building, the Capitol environs, but the Library of Congress, there were two coins for in 2000 for the Library of Congress, including the first and thus far only ringed by metallic coin from the U.S., so there's ringed by metallic coins from all over. Canada has the toonie. The United Kingdom has the two pound. The euro has the one euro and two euro. There's ringed by metallics all over. The U.S. has only done one of those. That was 2000 for the Library of Congress. And I believe that was a $10 denomination to set it apart from the gold five and you know the silver dollar and all that. So we're not talking about that program. But I do need the names of the other X number of coin or coins. This is tough. This this would definitely be expert level if if we had it, you know, if I put were to put it on a modern day coin world trivia. So think about that. You have a week, you can go to your coin world almanac, you can pull out your red book, but sit and think, you know, see if you can do it without that, because you know, we've all seen these. We've been to a show, we've we've looked in the books, we've it's apparent. I've got a parent, so yeah, then that'll work. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. You, I mean, you got me distracted when you mentioned the toonie again because I think it's going to be you know, just like almost trying to find the Playboy Bunny on the on the issues. It's going to be for me to say, why don't we have a two dollar coin in the U.S.? I said it last last podcast, so I'm going to try to figure out some way to say it every podcast. Maybe that'll be the sponsor. Maybe I'll be sponsored by the two dollar coin committee. I don't know, but. That's right, and this message is brought to you by the Royal Canadian Mint, the home of the Toonie, the Looney and the Toonie. And here, the, the Coin World podcast is just home to a bunch of Looney Tunes. I, uh, there you go. I'm Looney and you Toonie. So. I find it interesting, though, that you were looking for the Playboy Bunny. When I was growing up, the magazine that I was reading was called Country, and in that magazine you had to find the needle 
because, you know, like a needle in the haystack, it was uh, hard to find. And they put this uh, needle somewhere in the page layout of every issue. And the magazine was published six times a year, no advertising, Ryman Publications. Then they came out with Country Extra, which was the other six issues of the year. And they did several other magazines, Birds and Blooms and Reminisce and so on and so forth. But as somebody who lived, you know, on the fringes of suburban and rural St. Louis metropolitan area, I definitely and played in creeks and all that. I, I loved Country Magazine and they had the needle. Meanwhile, you were looking for the Playboy Bunny. I think that tells the listeners everything they need to know. About yes, because us. once I could find it, then I went right and read the articles. So uh, only, I mean, only the articles. So, so only what, the articles, yeah. So what are you, what are you reading right now that's uh, perhaps less uh, risque and, and, and more numismatic focused? I can say we matured. Hold, hold yes. on, hold on. Maybe you're reading about the 1916 Standing Liberty Quarter. That that would blend both topics well. Oh, no, but that's a great conversation starter places, that's for sure. I mean, the book that I'm reading right now is not going to have that 1916 coin in it because the book I'm reading right now, I really felt like I needed to know a little bit more about the coins that go way back. And I'm talking about, you know, back in ancient times. I mean, I had somewhat of an interest in the biblical coins, but uh, getting into the coins of the Greeks that uh, that came out, and just get an understanding. We mentioned earlier about history and how the fact that U.S. history is uh, very small compared to the history of the world, and seeing all the different coins. I'm reading uh, reading through a book by John Porteous. It's a, kind of an older book, but it's kind of a smaller book. It says Pleasures and Treasures, and it's uh, called Coins. And it's got, you know, a really neat 1640 piece on the cover that and once you start going into it and understanding, you know, the different coins from way back and, and how these were made. And when they started making them differentiate between, you know, the, the values of the coins, so they didn't have to reweigh them all the time. And just getting started on that one, because it's it's something that you really have to bear down on for me when you're used to reading for entertainment or to search for rabbits then, you know, you have to really pay attention to what you're reading here. you got to read it again. So I'm just getting started on it. There's a lot to learn from this. It's going to be a tremendous reference source. I know it is, but, you know, I'd like to get through it first. That way I know where to go back to when something comes along. It's certainly not going to help me in my search for the capital on modern commemoratives, but I'm not going to change my reading just because of that. Yeah, well, no, it, it is a good book. I have it, and um, you know, there's there's a couple different versions out there, different publisher imprints and all that. It's eminently affordable. It's a great, I don't want to say coffee table book, but it's one of those good basic overview books. And there, there's, you know, I have a, maybe a dozen books like that that are, you know, some of the stuff's similar or the same, but you get to explore the world of numismatics of coins through the author's lens. And really geared for somebody who, you know, if you want to plant the seed to get them interested in numismatics, great way to do it. So uh, good choice for this week in what you're reading. And next week, we're going to have to ask you. I know because I know you went through a transition here and some of your your best material is probably still in a box somewhere. And I haven't moved in 18 years and some of my stuff's still in a box. So I understand that. But uh <laughs> Just get the idea of seeing what you're up to here and kind of turn the tables on you just a little bit here because uh, typically and uh, hopefully that uh, 
once I find that out next time, I'll take notes and go get it. And, uh, you know, I mean, you've been my literary guide in a lot of ways, and I'm very appreciative of that because I really think that uh, anything we can learn about it, the coins themselves tell a story. I totally get that, but there's there's stories behind the stories and stories beyond the stories. As you talked about earlier about the Mayflower, and I, all my childhood, my early adulthood, even up to recently, in my second childhood, you know, I always thought that the pilgrims were set out there headed for Massachusetts, bottom line. Well, that wasn't the case. That wasn't it at all. So you learn something. You can learn something by reading something a lot of times. You can learn a lot of things just by paying attention, having an interest, cultivating that interest, and continuing to cultivate that interest. And that's what having access to some of these great books has helped me along the way. And I am up to the task you're going to put me on the spot next week. And as Michael Scott would say, oh, how the turntables. I have half of my library put away. The other half will be put away in the coming days. So certainly by the time we convene for the next episode, I will have access to everything numismatic that is here uh, in a literary sense. So that will be good. I'm up I'm up to the task, and now I have to find something to whet my appetite. And, uh, you know, I haven't bought a new numismatic book in a little while. It feels strange. I need to rectify that. So maybe I'll do that as well, although I doubt it would appear in time for the next show. Oh, I'm sure we'll give you plenty of opportunity in the future, especially once we find out that you have actually expanded to uh, include a new new product. There's, I'm sure there's lots of great products out there that can supplement the, the uh, collection that you already have here. And again, uh, anytime you can add to it, it's, uh, it's always a great thing. But we've done it again here, 2021. We are rolling right along. Got a lot of things happening in our world by getting the magazine out there for our readers to enjoy and getting this podcast out here for our listeners to enjoy. And I appreciate you taking the time and bringing me along on this journey, Jeff, as uh, I think it's time to wrap it up because uh, we're going to look at the clock on the wall. It tells us it's time to get out of here. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, until until we meet again, uh, as we always say, we first, you know, uh, please do subscribe. And, and if you want to sponsor the show, gosh, let us know. We'll put you in touch with the folks that can make that happen. We are just the um, pretty faces uh, or the, the, those who have faces for radio, as it were. And, uh, you know, until next week. Happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B H E R T E L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast.